All right, so uh, let's get started. So welcome to the uh, serious uh, uh, weekly uh, seminar series. Uh, today it's my uh, great pleasure to have uh, Dr. Tingfang Yan from uh, RSA Lab. Uh, Tingfang is a research scientist at uh, RSA Laboratories, uh, the security division of EMC, and uh, her research interests include uh, network security and uh, data analysis for security applications. Uh, Ting Fang received her uh, bachelor's degree in computer science and information engineering uh, from uh, National uh, Jiao Tong University, Taiwan, and her uh, master and the PhD degrees in uh, electrical and computer engineering uh, from Carnegie Mellon University. So uh, with that, I hand it over to you. Thanks, Dong Yan. Um, thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. The title of my talk is Beehive Large-Scale Log Analysis for Detecting Suspicious Activity in Enterprise Networks. And this is joint work with Alina Opri, Khan Onailulu, Todd Letham, Will Robertson, Ari Jules, and Engin Kurda. So this is a collaboration between RSA Labs, EMC, the parent company of RSA, and Northeastern University. Uh, so most of what I'm going to talk about today are already in, published in our ACSAC 2013 paper, but this is very much work in progress, and we would really appreciate if you guys have any comments or suggestions or uh, ideas for future collaboration. So an enterprise network is made up of multiple components. In addition to the users and the end hosts, there are servers that maintain the communication infrastructure, like DHCP and DNS servers. And there are also servers that support application-level functionalities, like web servers, mail servers, and database servers. But enterprise networks also deploy a variety of security products to protect itself from attacks coming both from outside and from within. And these security products include firewalls, intrusion detection systems, web proxies, authentication servers, and antivirus software. So all of these devices on the network monitor activities going on in the enterprise. And they generate large amounts of log data of different formats. Now some of the logs do share common fields, like timestamps, IP addresses, port numbers, and protocol. But there is also information that is specific to the application that generated the log. As an example, uh, logs from DHCP servers will specify the IP address that is assigned to this MAC address with this host name, and also an action field indicating the type of event, like an assign, renew, or release. Logs from VPN servers will include the user account that made the VPN login, <coughs> the host name used in the login, and the internal IP address that is assigned to that VPN session. And when the session terminates, the corresponding log will include the duration of the session, and the number of bytes transferred. Domain controllers log every authentication attempt to internal resources in the enterprise network. And so their logs include the username, the IP address uh, of the host to which the user is authenticating, uh, the ID of the corresponding Windows security event, and also whether that authentication attempt was successful. Web proxies intercept every HTTP and HTTP connection crossing the border of the enterprise network. And so their logs include fields in the HTTP header, like the domain name, the URL, the HTTP result code, the web refer, the user agent string. But in addition to all of this, they also record the category 
of the remote site that's being visited, and also the website reputation score. So all of these log data are being collected and um, saved in a centralized data repository, which is called the Security Information Event Management System, also called the SIM. So this SIM takes this input, these raw logs generated by these devices, and then parses them into well-defined fields. And at EMC, the SIM is running on top of a Hadoop distributed file system with a Postgres database front end, which means that when we want to uh, access the data, we issue SQL queries to it. Uh, together, there are 60,000 employees at EMC, and they generate about 1.4 billion logs per day on average, which amounts to about one terabyte a day. So this data is stored for three months, which means that we can always look back three months into the past to see past activities. Now, traditionally, these type of logs stored in the SIM are mostly used for compliance and sometimes for forensics investigation. So when a security analyst detects there has been an attack in the system, they can go back to the logs to trace the source and the propagation of the attack. The SIM can also generate simple alerts based on um, really simple, simple rules like uh, monitor user account with more than five failed logins or monitor host that makes more than 10 DNS queries through non-existent domains. So they can support simple rules like this. But instead, in this work, our goal is to use these vast amounts of log data to automatic, automatically detect suspicious behaviors in the enterprise. And in particular, these behaviors that we examine are guided by properties of an enterprise network, like the homogeneity of software configurations of enterprise managed hosts and the business orientation of most user activities. So we want to profile user behavior over some time and then detect outliers that behave differently from the vast majority of hosts. Another important aspect of this work is that we're not really trying to automate detection in the sense that every alert is an infected host, but rather we, were, we want to reduce the human labor involved in incident response and forensic investigation. So we give the analyst a list of mis misbehaving hosts and also the context around their activities so that the analyst can actually make decisions and take actions based on those reports. So this is the, our goals in the paper. But it is, not, it is not so easy to work with log data. For one, any technique that we develop must be able to process terabytes of data efficiently. The logs themselves are also extremely noisy. For example, uh, the logging devices, they're located in different geographic locations, and they may or may not include time zone with their timestamps, and may or may not record timestamps according to their local time zone. There's clock skew that makes it difficult to correlate logs generated by different devices. Um, most of the logs use IP addresses as host identifiers, but DSCP allows multiple hosts to share the same IP at different times. The logs may be truncated due to database field length restrictions. They can be missing, duplicated, or arrive out of order. Now, in addition to all of this, there's also a huge semantic gap between what is recorded in the logs and what we really wish to observe. For example, there are over 500 types of Windows security events and over 30 related just to log on and log off events. Now, in order to interpret these messages, we need an understanding of not only the LDAP protocol 
as in this Windows authentication example, but also product-specific knowledge about how that protocol is implemented. Finally, we do not have ground truth about suspicious hosts in enterprise to evaluate our system because the enterprise already deploys the state-of-the-art security products and there are human analysts that work actively toward resolving new threats. As a result, no malicious activities are not observable because they are already blocked. So and I, also, I will describe later, uh, we instead evaluate our system through manual investigation. So we manually went through all the alerts generated over a two-week interval and then labeled all of them. There has, has already been a lot of related work on anomaly detection, on intrusion detection, on detecting stolen credentials, on malware detection, or on malicious domains detection. But to the best of our knowledge, ours is the first to address the challenges of sanitizing, correlating, analyzing log data from an enterprise of the scale, and to detect both infected hosts and business policy violations. So I'm just going to give you an overview of our system, which we call Beehive. Given log data from various sources, Beehive has a normalization layer that removes some of the inconsistencies in the logs. So we standardize all of the log timestamps into UTC, uh, create a mapping of dynamic IP addresses to host names over time, and also identify the, the user that is primarily associated with a particular host. After this, Beehive extracts features from the logs to characterize network communications from the enterprise. And we broadly group our features into four categories, destination-based, host-based, policy-based, and traffic-based. We represent each internal host as a feature vector, and then we cluster the host to find those with similar behaviors, and also to identify outliers that are just behaving differently from the vast majority of hosts. And we generate incident reports for these outliers that are later examined by a human analyst. So I'll go through each of these layers and then finally present results on the evaluation of this system. When an event is generated at an end host, it is logged by some network device. For example, your browser generates an HTTP request and the web proxy uh, logs this uh, the web proxy sitting at the border of the network, uh, enterprise network logs this. Sometime later, this log is sent and collected by the centralized data repository, the SIM. So we know that both T2 and T3 are included in the logs as two separate timestamps. We know that T3, the event collection time at the SIM, is always in UTC. But we don't know about T2 because time zone is not included in the log timestamps. And these network devices are configured by local admins with no documentation. And we can't just use T3 as the event timestamp because there can be arbitrary delays between when the event was generated and when it was collected. This can be minutes or even up to hours or days. So what we really want to know is the timestamp T2 in UTC. So how do we figure out the time zone of a network device? Well, we look at all of the logs genera generated by this device and then compute the time difference between T2 and T3. We round this to the nearest 30 minutes and then uh, take the value that accounts for the vast majority of logs as the uh, time correction value, which we can use to adjust all the timestamps into UTC. 
And as I mentioned earlier, most of the logs use IP addresses as host identifiers. But DHCP allows multiple hosts to share the same IP at different times. In order to attribute an event to the correct host, we have to create a mapping of IP addresses to host names over time. So to do this, Beehive analyzes DHCP logs and then create what we call bindings, which are represented by a five tuple. The IP address is the host name, the MAC address, and the start and end timestamps. Our last normalization, stamps, uh, normalization ste step tries to identify the user that is primarily associated with a particular host. So this is to, so you can identify the user who's actually doing this and not just the host, going one step further. Now lacking documentation about host user assignments in an enterprise, we instead leverage these domain controller logs. And these um, domain controllers are what we, we talked about a little earlier. They log authentication attempts to internal resources in enterprise. So if for every host, we can keep track of all the users that successfully log onto this host and the frequency at which they log in. Excuse me. <coughs> and in this work, we're primarily interested in uh, these dedicated hosts, which are, have a, a single user that's primarily using this host. And so we identify them uh, by these hosts where a single user is responsible for the vast majority of logins to that host. So we first standardize the log timestamps into UTC. We create a mapping of dynamic, dynamic IP addresses to host names, and so create a mapping of use, uh, host names to users. So now Beehive can start the feature extraction step. And the first set of features that we're interested in are network communications to external destinations that are, that have never been contacted by anybody from the enterprise before, or that are unpopular. And our observation here is that established sites are usually better administered, so malware communications are more likely to go to uncommon or obscure websites. Now, in order to identify what is new or unpopular, we have to have a set of destinations that we can use uh, from the past to, to identify what is new. And we expect that after we observe communications over like a month or two, we will have a stable set of destinations that we can use to identify new ones. But to our surprise, we find that the number of new destinations does not decrease over time, even as the size of our history increases to 4.3 million domains over the course of a month. So the, in this graph, the blue line uh, shows the, the size of our history growing over time. The red line is the number of unique destinations we see per day coming, going, going out from the enterprise. And the green line is the number of new destinations that we see every day. So between 30 to 40% of all the destinations per day are new. So what are these new destinations? Well, it turns out that a lot of them are associated with content delivery networks or cloud services that often use these random looking strings as subdomains like in that example. Some of these new destinations are also just IP addresses belonging to popular services like Google or Facebook. So clearly, to make our approach scalable, we need to come up with some data reduction techniques. And the first thing we did here uh, was to create a custom whitelist 
to filter out destinations that are popular with respect to our enterprise. So that is, we, uh, we add a destination to the whitelist if it has been contacted by more than X number of internal hosts. And here we can see just the example, but you see the, the number of logs that Beehive has to examine go down as we increase this threshold X. And if we set this threshold to 100 hosts, then we can reduce the amount of logs that we have to examine by 74%. Another data reduction step we took was to fold the domains to only the second top level domain. And this is to deal with these random looking substrings that are used by cloud services or CDNs. So with these optimizations, we can reduce the number of new destinations uh, from 145,000 to only 28,000 per day. So for a host, uh, we say that its destination-based feature is the number of new destinations that it visited on this day, um, the number of new destinations that does not, that is not referred by somebody on a whitelist, so it's not referred by Google or Bing, it's just coming from some obscure site. Um, the number of uh, destinations that are just raw IPs instead of domain names, and also the fraction of these destinations that are raw IPs. And this is based on the observation that most legitimate services are, re are referenced by their domain name rather than the IP address. Now, hosts in an enterprise are significantly more homogenous in terms of their software configurations compared to hosts in academic networks. So we are also interested in cases where a host installs new software that may potentially be unauthorized. So lacking visibility onto the host themselves, we instead infer the software configuration on the host by looking at its user agent strings that's included in HTTP requests. So a user agent string tells us the application that made this, this request, its version number, uh, capabilities, and operating environment. Now in order to identify when a host uses a new user agent string, we have to keep track of a history of previously used user strings from this host. And to accommodate software updates, where the string is mostly the same, just the version number changes, we compute the edit distance between a, a new string and all of the previously seen strings from this host, and only consider it if it's officially different. So for a host, it's host-based features, the number of such new user agent strings. Also unique to the enterprise environment is the enforcement of security policies on outbound communications. And at EMC, there are web proxies that intercept every outgoing HTTP and HTTP request and filters them both on a blacklist and a whitelist. In cases where the, the remote website is uncategorized or has a low reputation score, the proxy will present this, uh, this agreement page to the user that requires the user to consent to the company's security policies before proceeding. So you have to click on that I have read pay, uh, link in order to visit the site. So in our Beehive system, uh, for a host, its policy-based feature is the number of connections it makes and the number of domains that it contacted that are blocked by the, po uh, the proxy that are challenged, meaning that it got the, the challenge page and those that the user actually clicked and consented to. Our last set of features looks for sudden spikes and bursts in a host traffic volume, which are likely caused by automated events. Now, rather than setting a threshold, 
to, uh, de to define what we mean by a traffic spike. We instead look across the behaviors of all the hosts in enterprise. And we find that 90% of them makes less than 101 connections and contacts less than 17 domains um, during a one-minute interval. So we use these as our thresholds in the current implementation. For a host, the traffic-based feature is the number of minutes in which its volume exceeds these thresholds. This is just a, a list of the, the features that I talk about in, in each of the four categories. So I went through them pretty quickly, but you can find more details in that paper or come up and talk to me afterwards. So I talked about a lot of features that we want to use to characterize host network, network behaviors. But how do we put it all together? Well, if you may recall, some of these features require history. So we can identify new events, like the history of external destinations or the history of user agent strings per host. So we have to build up these histories over some time. And then after that, every day, for every host in an enterprise, we create a vector uh, that consists of these feature values. And then we cluster the host to find those with similar behaviors. And our motivation behind the clustering is that users have specific job functions in an enterprise. And so we expect to see hosts in the same department being clustered together, exhibiting similar behaviors, while misbehaving hosts with unique patterns would likely show up as outliers. And um, just a little more detail about the clustering. Initially, um, all of the hosts are in one giant cluster, and we just select a random point to be the cluster hub. After that, we select the node that is furthest away from the hub to be the new, new cluster, and then recluster the points based on their closest hub. We repeat this until the intra-cluster distance is sufficiently smaller than the inter-cluster distance. And we chose this algorithm because it does not require the number of clusters to be specified in advance, um, and is pretty easy to implement and fast to run. Now note that because we always select the node that is furthest away to be the new cluster, the order in which these clusters are generated are sort of a rough indication of how outlying they are, so in the order they were generated. Okay, so we cluster the host and then identify outliers that are far away from everybody else and create incident reports for them. After that, every day, we update the histories again based on new activity that we see on that day. So this Beehive system has been running on a daily basis in the EMC production network for a little more than a year now. Our code is certainly not optimized, but it takes about seven to eight hours to process a day's worth of logs. And this was running on a 2.4 gigahertz CPU with 48 gigs of RAM. <coughs> so we want to evaluate how good this system is at detecting suspicious behaviors. But we don't have any ground truth because known malicious events are already detected and blocked by the various security products in the company. So to evaluate this, we instead resort to manual investigation. That's we examined all of the hosts in the top outlying clusters every day for a period of two weeks. And our investigation process goes like this. First, we identify the distinctive features in that cluster, which means that we identify the features which made that cluster stand out, that made it an outlier. 
And then we look up contextual information about hosts in that cluster. For example, which, which domains they went to, the reputation of those, of those domains, when those domains were registered, stuff, stuff like that. Uh, if we need to, we would go back to the logs that are stored in the centralized data repository, the SIM, and look up additional information about that host or look up other activities the host was doing around the same time, just to gather more context. For those hosts that we could not confidently label, we gave to the Enterprise Security Operations Center for further investigation. And in this way, uh, we manually labeled 784 hosts over the period of two weeks. And this is a breakdown of the labels that were applied to this host. It's a little hard to see. Uh, I'm sorry, it's so small. But roughly 25% of what we detected were confirmed to be malware or are suspicious. So these are stuff that were not previously detected by the security, uh, Enterprise Security Operations Center. Another 40% of what we detected are uh, business policy violations. So these are people doing instant messaging, streaming video, peer-to-peer -peer file sharing, gaming, gambling, porn, trying to evade the, the, the network proxy. So st stuff that you should really not be doing at work. 35% what we detected were uh, what we categorized as the other. So these are not necessarily malicious events, but certainly not human-generated. So for example, thousands of connections to sports sites, to news sites, to shopping sites, to online forums, to stuff hosted on the Google App Engine, and sometimes people mining bitcoins. So we can't really say they're malicious, but they're just not human generated, so we label them as, as the other. So in the following, I'm going to show you some of the examples that we found and kind of walk you through our investigation process. So on this particular day, the first outlying cluster, which means that the cluster that was most outlying, only had one host in it. And this host stood out because he made a lot of, he made connections, he contacted 490 new destinations that nobody else from the enterprise went to before. So what are these, what are these destinations? Well, this is a screenshot of what we found. But the first column is the domain names. And it turns out that they're all sort of randomly generated domain names. And this is a technique that is very popular within botnets called FastFlux. So the bot would generate a whole bunch of random, do random domain names that may or may not be valid. And the bot master only needs to register a few domains in advance to be able to talk to his bots. And in our, in our uh, two-week study, we found hundreds of hosts that are beaconing out to FastFlux domains like this. The second outlier cluster on this day had two hosts in it. And this cluster stood out because those two hosts made a large number of consented connections. And this means that the user was presented with that policy agreement page, and he actually clicked and went to that website and made thousands of connections. So what are those domains? Well, the first host is going to panel.takidhost.com, which is a server for Minecraft. Anybody plays? So this is a obvious example of business policy violation by gaming at work. The second host is going to, uh, it's a website related to SAP, business management software. So this is an example where we could have improved the policies whitelist by incorporating these business, business related sites. Here's an example of something that was more suspicious. So this cluster had three hosts in it and they stood out because 
they made a large number of challenge connections. And this is when the user was presented with that agreement page, uh, but he never, the user never clicked on it. But still the host kept going, going back and make thousands of connections, trying to go to that site. So what are those domains? Well, the third one is Google Docs, which happened to be blocked at EMC. But the first two are raw IP addresses. Instead of referring the, the destination by the domain name, they were just going directly to the IP. So I did a WHOIS lookup on this first IP, and it turns out to be registers to some province network in China. So it's not really giving me much information at this point. So what I did is I went back to the logs and pulled up the actual HTTP connections to, to that domain, to that IP. And it seems that all of the connections to that IP had an URL with the same format. And it seems like there was a, a timestamp that is attached to one of the parameter fields. And it looked a lot like malware beaconing to me, but I can't really say for sure. So this is something that I gave to the Enterprise Security Operations Center for further investigation. Here's another suspicious example. So this host was also the only one in its cluster, and it stood out because it, it contacted a whole bunch of new destinations nobody else went to, it made a large number of block connections and challenge connections, but the user never clicked on any of them. So I pulled up the logs for this host, and I'm um, not sure how well you can see it, but it turns out that this is also somebody that's doing this dynamically generated domain name thing. Except, that now, except now that the DGA part is in the third top-level domain rather than the second top-level domain. So this is also something that looks suspicious and we gave to the Enterprise Security Oper Operations Center. This is sort of a, an, a user interface that we're playing around with. Uh, in the center, the square, big square in the middle, uh, we, we, we show all of the outlying clusters on this day. And the location of the clusters uh, is trying to re represent the dominant features in that cluster. For example, cluster number one on the far right, the biggest one there, is dominant in both the destination-based features and the host-based features. And the distance of a cluster from the center is just uh, the order at which they were generated, the order because we always select the node that's furthest away to be in the new cluster. Uh, the radiographs across the top and the bottom are just trying to show more details about the feature values in that cluster. So each slice of the radiograph represents one, one feature. And in the highlighted cluster on the upper left there, you can see that it has a very high value in the first and the fourth feature. So this is trying to visually represent the, the clusters. And we envision this to kind of cycle through each of the clusters in turn. And when the cluster is highlighted, more details about host in that cluster will be shown on the table, in the table on the right. So this would be like, for this host, what kind of domains they went to, uh, how many connections were made to those domains, and uh, the, what the network policy applied to those connections. So this is meant as a tool for the incident response people. Here's another way we're playing around with to represent the clusters, using churn-off faces. So in this case, the Kind of the facial features are controlled by the actual feature values. For example, the length of a face is the number of new destinations that the host went to. And the hair, the shape of the hair is the number of traffic spikes, for example. <laughs> and because I, I, know this, I know what's in here, I can tell you that cluster number 1, 6, 8, and part of 15 have all these uh, DGA 
domains that people be keying out to a large number of, of random domain names. So which is fun. The, the, our, our enterprise operation, operation centers thought was funny, but they didn't really like it. <laughs> so what I've just talked about here is just a subset of what actually built in the Beehive framework. So starting from the data and the normalization, we have a bunch of user behavior profilers that we want to use to look at different aspects of the, of the user's activities on the network. So we already talked about the external sites that they go to and the user agent strings installed on the host. But we're also interested in looking at the rate of data transfer to external sites so we can detect when somebody's leaking data out. Uh, we also look at the regular working hours of every user so we can detect um, activities that happen in, at mid in the middle of the night or when the user is not usually there. We also keep track of all the, all the machines that the user logged into in the past so we can identify when he's accessing some resource that he does not usually access. So trying to look, to look at different aspects. And you can use, maybe, you can use these profilers um, in different ways depending on what you want to detect. But you know, apply different analysis methods to it. But the eventual goal of all this is to generate prioritized alerts that we can give to the incident response teams uh, and to help them deal with these incidents. And of course, their feedback will help us refine the profilers and maybe we can analyze trends in the, in the, in the enterprise about which hosts are more risky than others. Just to summarize here, um, this Beehive system that I talked about automatically mines and extracts knowledge about large amounts of log data collected in an enterprise. We present efficient techniques for processing these terabytes of data and also profile user behavior over time to identify outliers that are misbehaving. And this is system is currently running daily in the EMC production network and we're in the process of setting up a direct feed for the incident response team so that they can deal with these incidents in a more timely manner. Thank you and I'm happy to take questions now. Well, we didn't. We didn't really. We used the Hadoop cluster to query the data, but all the processing were done outside. So, the data is a lot, but the models we use are quite small. So the feature vectors there's only 15. So it's like 15 float floating numbers per host, and the clustering is actually quite efficient. You don't need a. We didn't need a Hadoop cluster to do that. Yeah, we just used R for that. Did you say you used R? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm actually in this, I have the same issue. I mean, I'm, so I'm wondering, you know, what library you actually use. Oh, I'm sorry. This, can, this is not R. This is uh, just a Python implementation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And do you know a sample of your data structure that you use? If, if you, I mean, if it's okay. Um, I can tell you the the format sort of, yeah. but I don't I don't know if we can release the data no, set. Yeah. Um. So I use Python for most of this, and so they're stored as Python pickle files, and I use dictionaries a lot for them. <laughs> so the, the for example, the new destinations would be like this host indexed by the host pointing to domain name, number of number of time the timestamps and uh, whatever attribute I want to save.
so can you give us a little bit um, an idea of the scale of the data that you're dealing with? Uh, either the raw data or maybe the flow. So are you doing everything, uh, all the processing offline, online, things like that? Okay. Uh, so every, the data is stored in this centralized data database. And it's, it's being dumped in there in real time. So I, not a real time, but like five minute lag, three, four, five minute lag. But our processing is done daily. So in batch mode, we look at today, we look at previous days worth of data. And together, it's about one terabyte a day. But we don't look at everything. So, for example, there are like firewalls that we don't look at. Um, there are some DNS logs that we don't look at. So mostly we focus on HTTP traffic. That's about 300 to 400 million logs a day, I think. But it's, um, it's a lot. In terms of volume, it's a lot, like in terms of the bytes, because it has all these fields like the URL, the domain name, the user initiating the web refer, so like that. But I, I would say it takes the, the bigger part, bigger chunk out of the one terabyte a day. But everything is done in batch, so seven to eight hours per day. Yes? Efficiency of the average of the cluster algorithm. And uh, do you improve the uh, cluster algorithm? Um, cluster? Oh, the clustering algorithm itself runs in a few seconds. So that that's not our main bottleneck. Is that your question? Um, I mean, the algorithm, the cluster, uh, cluster algorithm is uh, in the normal or has been improved in oh. the system? So the clustering algorithm, I think it's not really a standard clustering algorithm. It's mostly like a way to initialize k-means because we don't know what the, for k to pick. So this is a way to quickly do that. And you're supposed to run it over multiple iterations and kind of do the average. But for us, it's usually the case that like 99% of the hosts fall in one giant cluster, and then we see like 1% outliers. So um, which I try randomizing the initial point, and it doesn't really make much difference. So we run it once, and it takes a few seconds, because we're only mainly interested in the outliers. So this was sufficient for us. So could this detect something like a, a rogue device, like someone plugging in a router they brought in? Or does it only really detect things that are generating active network traffic? Um, we only look at network traffic. So if it's just sitting there, not doing anything, then we can't. If it's somebody bringing a router and plugging it in, we probably won't see it anyway, because that router is not instrumented to report to the, the data repository. Right? It doesn't send any logs there, so we don't see it. So you're not like actively reaching out and scanning your own network no. for SNMP or anything? No, but I think that problem is called shadow IT, which is like an IT that you don't see. And it's actually a very interesting problem that we don't know how to deal with yet. Stampede upstairs. I'll ask one more question. Sure. Um, also, can you tell us? Uh, um, because I'm more interested in the setup, like for example, how many hosts are we talking about or how many services, okay. uh, heterogeneity in terms of different operators. I mean, I saw some Kerberos there, so I've, I figured out you're, you're running some windows, but yeah. I'm, I was just curious if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So you know this is an enterprise, right? So it's mostly windows. Um, the software is mostly 
pretty much homogenous. I would say like 93% of the hosts have the same image. The rest are like, you know, some people have Macs or Linux and some are servers. Uh, the number of hosts we're talking about, I, I think it's around 120,000. So, yeah, it's, um, it's like 60,000 employees. But that's the ones that we could see in the log. So there were a lot that are not, are not reporting. So I expect this, this number to be much more. But in this, we focused on those hosts that have a primary user behind it. So like end hosts, not servers. And those are like 87,000, I think. Six, like 70,000. I would just ballpark it there. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs>